0: some special mornings where when we go to God and worship Him and worship Jesus through music, they just kind of fit perfectly with what you're talking about or the message in the morning. And, and today, uh, I believe what we just sang about over those first three songs really, really fits amazingly with where we're going today. Um, if you're new to LifePoint this morning, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. My name's Corey. And I get to serve as a teaching pastor for our our Plain City campus, and all summer long we've been in this series called Labels, and we've been walking our way through the gospel of Luke in the Bible. And we've been looking at how Jesus interacted with those who were on the fringes, those who were considered outcasts, those who were considered too far from grace, those who were considered labeled, which is really, I believe, a, a relevant thing because from the time of Middle school, maybe even younger, to high school and beyond, we, we kind of live in a world that loves to push us into labeled categories, whether, whether that's the athletic category, the smart category, the successful category, or the attractive category. And if we're not careful, we've said our labels can become our, our limits. But as we've learned week in and week out together, the gospel calls us to a life above labels. That's been our big idea for the whole series, is that the gospel calls us to a life above labels. And last week, as we gathered together, wrapping up the gospel of Luke, we looked at the crucifixion of Jesus. And today, we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus, much of what we just sang about. And and so... We've been calling today Easter in August. Since that's what we're looking at, we've been calling today Easter in August together. And as we approach things today, I'm kind of reminded of an old TV series, probably 10 years or older, called Undercover Boss. I don't know if you've ever watched it or seen it, right? Undercover Boss, it's this hidden camera show where top-level CEOs and bosses, right? They they basically get disguised and makeup and all this stuff, and they go down to some of the lower level positions in their company. And in doing so, they kind of get to see what's really going on. They kind of hear, they get to hear the water cooler talk with the employees employees really think okay And so that, that's kind of kind of what we see today because in this final chapter of, of Luke we see two people who are traveling home and they encounter Jesus right the, the, the boss but they don't know it's him. And as they encounter him, they begin to spill out their hearts and minds to him. And so we kind of get this undercover boss moment in Luke today. And so if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24 as, as we begin. Luke chapter 24. And as always, if... You have our app in the notes section there. You can follow along there. We have key Scripture. We have some key points and a spot for you to take your, your own notes, if you like. But as Luke 24 opens up, I want to give us a quick summary of the first 12 verses. In the first 12 verses, several women go and they find the empty tomb of Jesus. These, these women, they encounter uh, two, two angels. And the angels tell these ladies, hey, Jesus is not here. He is risen just as he said he, he would. And so the women go back and report this to the apostles and to those following Jesus. And no one believes him. They think it's a fairy tale, Right? And so Peter and John, they get up and they run to the tomb. They say, we got to go see this for ourselves. And that's kind of the first 12 verses. That's kind of the standard Easter message when you come to church on Easter where where we talk about those type of things. And and I love the Easter message. But let me also say in this moment today in a crowd this size, there may be some folks sitting here that are like, you know, the whole Easter thing, Jesus risen from the grave, everything we've talked about. I, I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I'm there. I kind of think maybe it's a legend. I kind of think it's a made-up story. It, it might even just be a flat-out lie. And, and I recognize some folks may be thinking that today. You may be sitting here thinking that. And I just want to say that's, that's okay. I'm glad you're here. I think you're, God's got you in the perfect spot today. And, and we're not going to spend a ton of time this morning on all the evidence for for the resurrection. I will tell you this though, there is plenty of evidence out there and I would encourage you to go look for it and find it. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that it it supports everything the Bible says. But what we are going to focus on this morning, what we are going to look at is this. If the resurrection is true, and, and I believe it is, if the resurrection is true, it's the most important and significant event in history. And if the resurrection is true, all of history rests on this event. Because here's the deal. If the resurrection is true, we've got to ask ourselves, well, what then? If the resurrection is true, we have to ask, what does that mean for my life today? And if the resurrection is true, whether you sit here as one who follows Jesus or doesn't, man, that's relevant for your life if it's true. Well, in verse 13 of Luke, he takes us from the empty tomb, and he takes us to an interesting account of the resurrection of Jesus. So let's begin reading together. Verse 13 says this. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. So here we begin this morning, right, two people on the very day that the report of the empty tomb starts to circulate, uh, start walking back to their hometown of Emmaus. These are two followers of Jesus. They were in Jerusalem for Passover, and now here we find them walking home, and as this first Easter comes to a close they're they're discussing the talk of the town it's the headline news right everybody's talking about Jesus who was crucified the reports of the empty tomb man was the stone really rolled away wasn't it how did that how did that happen wow look at look at today the Roman guards they're they're in a panic the religious leaders are are in a panic what why is that happening is Jesus could he be is he is he really uh, alive I mean think about their conversation for a moment their emotions and all the things that must have been running from their head as, as followers of, of Jesus, right? They might have been thinking about the first time they saw Jesus or the first time they met him. Reminiscing of the miracles they saw him perform. Maybe they're talking about, like, can you believe Judas? Can you believe Judas betrayed Jesus? What about Pilate? What about Herod? Oh, goodness gracious, like our rabbi, our teacher, he's been, he's been crucified. Their conversation had to cover a multitude of, of memories and questions And emotions. And in verse 15, we see that while they were talking and discussing things together, it says Jesus himself drew near and he went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17 says, Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad, right? Jesus' question just brought a halt to everything. And they stood still and they were sad. And One of them named Cleopas answered and said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So here we've got these two, right? They're walking and they're talking and Jesus kind of just appears and he's walking with them. He drew near to them as it says. And they're so immersed in their conversation, they don't even realize someone someone else is with them, right? The undercover boss has joined the conversation here. And Luke doesn't tell us why, but he does says for some reason their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus and Jesus inquires about their conversation hey what are, you, what are you guys talking about and in that moment we're told they stood still and they were sad and then one of them named Cleopas says like really are you, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on and I love how Jesus responds in in, in verse 19 he says well, what things what things are happening What things are are going on. And and in these two words, I think it's amazing, right? Because here's what we see in these two words. We see that Jesus longs for us to tell him our hearts. That Jesus longs for you and I to tell him what's on our hearts and our minds. That Jesus, the all-knowing one, already knows what these guys are thinking. He already knows what's on on their minds. But much like a parent engaging with their, their child, right? A lot of times we We know what's going on with our kids. We know what they're excited about or we know what they're sad about or we know what things are going on, yet we still engage and lean in with them and are like, well, tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. Well, what happened? How was your day? Like we already know, but we engage with them because we care for them and we love them and we long to know what's on their hearts and want them to share with us. How amazing today that that Jesus longs for you and I to do the same with him. That he's patient with us when we tell him what he already knows about our lives. That he's trustworthy for us to go to and, and pour our hearts out to. That we can find grace and mercy when we need it the most when we just pour ourselves out to Jesus. And here, that's exactly what these two people do. And it says, Jesus just goes, what things in the most caring and loving fashion? And in verse 19, they proceed to tell him what things. They say, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a, ma- a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel Yes, and besides all this, it's now the the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were were with us, this is Peter and John, they went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. In pouring out their, their hearts and minds to Jesus, we can See, see and feel their, their, their sadness but we can also see these two they had misguided hope they had misguided hope they're sad because Jesus their rabbi their teacher has been killed and they're sad because the reports of the empty tomb have started to circulate the the reports of the women saying hey we saw angels they've the angels have told us that Jesus is risen but their sadness because no one's seen it and as far as these two know and it, it's just false it's not true Their hope here is is misguided because what they hoped for was Jesus would be the redeemer of Israel. And the redeemer that they were looking for in their mind was one who would redeem them from Roman oppression. Was one who would be a conquering military leader. Would be one who who God would work through this redeemer and set up an earthly kingdom and an earthly throne. They were looking for a redeemer who would fix all of their temporary circumstances that were, that were right in front of them. And they missed that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming for so much more than those things. He was coming for spiritual redemption. He was coming as one who conquers sin and death, not as a military leader. He was coming to set up a spiritual heavenly kingdom that would last for all eternity. And he was coming to set up spiritual change that would last for all time not just in the temporary circumstances they miss those things and I think too many times I know in my life and I, I don't know about yours I get saddened and sometimes I have misguided hope because I look to Jesus and I'm like well I need you to change my, my circumstances or can you just fix the political climate that's out there can you cure that diagnosis or can you improve our financial situation and, and, and hear me on this we can bring all those things to Jesus We're told to cast all our cares and anxieties down at his, his feet. But too many times we're just looking for him to change our temporary circumstances. And we need so much more than a change in our temporary circumstances in our lives. Because if it's only about temporary circumstances, it lasts for the moment. And the next time our circumstances change, we need something all over again. And here's what's wonderful here. This is what we see is that Jesus comes for so much more than circumstantial change in our lives. He comes for life change. He comes for so much more than just changing our circumstances. He can do that, but he comes for more than that. He comes for life change in your life and mine. That our ultimate hope is in Jesus who must do a redemptive work in your life and mine. That Jesus wants to set up a kingdom in our hearts today that he wants to have his presence in our lives, and he wants to shape us to live and love and be more like him day in and day out. And these two individuals here, right, they they missed it and they were saddened because of it, that the Messiah didn't do, the Redeemer didn't do what they wanted and hoped him to do. And in verse 25, we see Jesus' tender and caring response. He says to them, he says, oh, foolish ones, and in saying, oh, foolish ones, Is written in such a way of gentleness here. He says, oh foolish ones, it says, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all of the scriptures concerning himself, right? So Jesus enters into the conversation. He begins to dialogue now. And in nine words, in nine words of Oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, Jesus reveals the issue with their beliefs and their misguided hope. And it's this, belief many times has more to do with the heart than the head. That belief many times has to do more with the heart than the head, right? Jesus says slow of heart to believe. He he doesn't say slow of knowledge to believe. And, And after all, like think about the evidence These two have compiled so far. Witnesses had seen the empty tomb. Angels have announced Jesus is risen. The Roman guards, why would the Roman guards and the religious leaders be panicking if something wasn't legit here? And then on top of that, they had all of scripture that had already given them the answer. That all of the evidence, all of the proof, all of the knowledge was right in front of them just like it is for us today. And in his patience, Jesus then begins to walk them through, which I think is the most, most amazing Bible study in, in history, right? Jesus himself sits down with them, and he goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. And he starts walking them through the scriptures, things like the seed of the woman whose heel was bruised, and the blessing of Abraham to all nations, the high priest of the order of, of Melchizedek, Right, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the Passover lamb, the prophet that was greater than Moses. He looks at the captain of the Lord's army to, to Joshua, the ultimate kinsman redeemer mentioned in Ruth. The son of David who was, who was a king greater than David. The suffering savior of Psalm 22, the good shepherd of Psalm 23 the Savior described in the prophets, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the princely Messiah of of Daniel who would establish a kingdom that would never end, he goes through all of it and says, hey guys, guess what? All of that, it points to and it converges on me, Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought about this? The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years, right? Over 60 generations, Over 40 different authors, all with different backgrounds. It was written on three different continents and three different languages. It was written in times of war and peace and joy and sorrow, and it covers hundreds of topics. Yet from beginning to end, there's one unfolding story from Genesis to Revelation pointing to and converging on Jesus. What more do our heads need? And still, too many times, We go and look for answers about Jesus everywhere else except the most trusted place we might have right here in the Bible. That Jesus, it's amazing to address their heart issue. He uses the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. The Bible was Jesus' greatest asset with these two. That faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God that God's word is living and it's active and it penetrates to our hearts. And so this Bible study is going on, right? This this Old Testament survey is going on and they start to draw near to their town. And in verse 29, we see that they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with him. Now, all that they knew at this point was we have this stranger here And as he's talking with us and as he's opening up the scriptures to us, all we know is we want to spend more time with this guy. We don't want this guy to leave. It can't end now. And Jesus, the the, the stranger, right, I love the fact that he was willing and he desired to stay and spend time with them. That many times in our lives, Jesus is, is right by our side and we don't even see him. And many times he's just asking us, Jesus, would you stay? Would you come in? Would you spend some time with me? And just like he did with these two here, Jesus is always willing. He will always say, yes, I will come meet with you. I will come spend time with you. I desire to spend time with you. And they go and say, sit down for dinner. And in verse 31, it says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, I love this, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures, right? Like, can you imagine, this is one of those friend moments. I wonder if it was happening here where he was like, I told you. No, I told you. No, I figured it out first. No, I figured it out first, right? Their hearts were burning. They knew something was up. There's an old worship song that says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you. These two individuals had the eyes of their heart opened up. They encountered the risen Jesus alive and well. And they say, did not our, our hearts burn with us? We knew something was up as he talked with us and as he opened up the scriptures. And here's what's amazing here and what I love is that Jesus gives new eyes and burning hearts for us. He gives new eyes and burning hearts for us. I mean, have you ever... Have you ever heard the story? Have you ever met anybody that maybe didn't believe in Jesus and, and believed, believed in Jesus? They became a Christian, right? Have you, have you ever met anybody like that? Maybe this is part of your story where all of a sudden they're kind of look back on their life's journey and they're like, oh, you know what? There, there were some conversations and there were some Sunday messages and there was a few moments where maybe I opened up the Bible or heard a Bible verse and there were these quiet moments at night or these desperation moments in difficult circumstances. And, and it was like something was, was stirring inside of me. It was like my heart was, was churning. I was wrestling inside of me. But now, now that I know Jesus, I see it. I look back. Something was going on, and it was, it was all pointing to Jesus. It was him. It's, it's real. He is, he is alive, and, and I believe now, right? Those people, right, hopefully many of us in the room It's that moment where we get new eyes and our hearts are set on fire because we've encountered Jesus. And I love what we see happens next in in verse 33. It says, These two rose the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were there gathered with them saying, The Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. And then these two told what happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is amazing, right? They go seven miles one way. Seven miles one way, they get to where they're supposed to go and they immediately get right back up and leave and go seven miles back to where they already had come from, right? These new eyes, these these burning hearts, they could not sit still. They could not keep quiet. They've got to tell someone what happened, and they go all the way back to Jerusalem. They find the 11 apostles, and they find the other followers of Jesus. And as they walked in, they must have been amazed, right? Because where this walk started was they were saddened. They didn't believe. It it couldn't happen. No one saw Jesus, but quickly as they walk into the room, Luke tells us that, that everyone's talking. Everyone's saying, Jesus is alive. He's risen indeed. And oh, by the way, Simon Peter over here, he's actually seen him. And can you imagine these two? They, they probably just were, were just so excited to jump in the conversation of like, hey, listen, listen, listen. we it, it happened to us too. Listen about what happened on our walk, what happened with us. And they begin to share all that's happened. And here it is. We see it. That for us, when we encounter the living Jesus, our hearts burn to tell others about him. At least I hope they do. That when we encounter the living Jesus, our hearts burn to tell others about him. I mean, think about all that's happened in the 24 hours of these these two individuals. They've gone from confusion and debating and sadness and misguided hope and blindness and a misplaced heart to the reality of the resurrection really happened. Jesus is, is alive. All of scripture's point To him, our eyes have been opened. Our our hearts are on fire now. This was one heck of a day. This is the most amazing first Easter story that that anybody's probably experienced, right? It's gonna impact these two individuals' lives for as long as they live. And I would dare say it was gonna impact every single area of their lives. So as, as you and I move forward today, as we close out things this morning, here's the deal, what's the impact? and the application of all that we've talked about for us. I believe it's this. If the resurrection is not true, if the resurrection is not true, then that means there's no purpose in life, there's no point in life, and there's no hope in life. That without the resurrection then we're just a bunch of cells that have been thrown together to form a body and we are just happenstance and one day we're going to die and we're going to decompose and we're going to go into the ground and that's that, that's the end of it. That if the resurrection is not true, that we've came from nothing and you and I are headed to nothing. And if that's the case, I would dare say, why should we care? Why should we serve? Why should we invest in the next generation? Why should we even take care of ourselves or our kids? Why help the needy? Why help the orphan? Why help the widow? Why help the oppressed? Why help the suffering? Why help the addict? Why help the suicidal? Why try to better anything? Because if there is no no resurrection, if if we came from nothing and, and there is nothing to go to, then just live for yourself and forget everyone else around you. Because if the resurrection is not true, well then just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow... We're all just gonna die anyways. But, but, if the resurrection is true, if Jesus is alive, I dare say that changes everything for you and I. That it changes everything for you and I. That if the resurrection is true, then that means there is a purpose to life, that there is a point to life, and that there is a hope to all that we experience. That if the resurrection is true, it means you matter. It means people matter. It means serving matters. It means loving matters. It means life matters. It means the next generation matters. It means community matters. And it darn sure means eternity matters. That when we pair the cross with the resurrection of Jesus, if it's all true, then that means there's forgiveness of sin in our lives, that there is redemption in our lives, that people can change, that they can receive a new heart, that they can become a new creation. As the Bible says, it's like being born all over again. Because then, if the cross and the resurrection are true, that means we get a right relationship with the living God and how we live then is important and it matters. And then all of a sudden, all of the scriptures make sense. And death, death is not the end, but it's the beginning of all eternity. So here's where it gets personal for us today. Does the resurrection make a difference in your life and mine? Does it make a difference in our life? Are the eyes of your heart open to the risen Jesus Christ today? Does your heart Burn for him. I dare say this, for for the believer in the room, for the person who considers himself a Christian, how does the resurrection impact your life today? Maybe for some of us, right, our sight has grown dim. We've lived through some tough circumstances over the past couple years. Maybe you're going through some very difficult circumstances right now, and, and maybe your sight and how you look at Jesus has grown a little bit dim, Maybe your heart isn't burning quite like it used to. Maybe it's barely flickering. You're barely holding on. And maybe the fire has gone out for Jesus. If so, as you go back and you look at the scriptures we walk through today and see all that's transpired, here's where I want you to find hope and encouragement. You can draw near to Jesus like these two individuals, and Jesus will draw near to you that you can pour your heart out to him and he's ready and he desires to listen to you. That you can press into the truth of God's word today because I would dare say it stood the test of time and it can, dare, it can darn sure stand against all that you're going through and all of your doubts and all of your questions. It will stand up to that. You can pray today, Jesus, open the eyes of my heart. I really desire to see you and he will answer that prayer in your life. You can know, you can know today that Jesus will stand right by your side and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you no matter what you go through. Let him rekindle a fire in your life. Let him open your eyes again and then go tell others about what he's done. Go tell others about what he's done. Be overcome, be overflowing of what Jesus has done in your life, thanks to the resurrection, the fact that he is alive today. If you sit here today and you're the person, I'll just put it in a positive fashion, who has yet to believe, who has yet to believe. Maybe you've been wrestling with the knowledge piece today. The truth is, what's really going on is you're just having a wrestling match in your heart. You've been trying to figure out a fix for your your circumstances, the temporary fix to all the, all the issues that you have. But what you really need is an eternal fix today. And, and if we could just be transparent for a moment, you don't need more answers. You don't need more knowledge. You don't need a change in your circumstances today. You need a savior. You need the eyes of your heart Opened. You need the resurrected Jesus Christ, the one who conquered sin and death and the grave. You need Jesus, the one who loves and saves and forgives and gives hope and changes hearts and changes lives. You need Jesus who brings you into God's family. And watch this, calls you a son, calls you a daughter, calls you forgiven, calls you friend, Calls you heir to the throne and calls you a child of God. A child of God for all of us today, believer or none, child of God. Don't you want that? That means you're in. That means you're loved. That means you're accepted. That means you're never gonna get kicked out. That means it's it's all good. And and our Heavenly Father, who is infinitely Powerful and able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask, think, or imagine. He's got you in his hands and in his arms and he will never let you go, that you will be a child of God. And for all of us, I dare say as we close this series, that is a label worth wearing because wearing that label is exactly where your true identity and life begins. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the amazing journey that you've allowed us to take through the gospel of Luke this summer. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is alive, that we serve a living God and a living Savior. Lord, I pray today for those of us that need our hearts rekindled that you would light a new fire. For those of us that need our eyes opened that you would open our eyes today that we would live from the truth and the power of an empty grave and a risen Jesus Christ. And for some today, Lord, my prayer is this. Some may be sitting here today not knowing, not believing in Jesus. And today's the day that you move beyond the knowledge piece because the Lord has your heart for the first time. And you're saying, what do I do with it now? Like I'm I'm believing today, I'm, I'm in today. I wanna, my eyes are opened. I wanna give Jesus my heart today. And I would say for you in this very moment, it's this simple. You just cry out to Jesus. You say, Jesus, today I believe, I see, I know it. You have my heart today for the very first time. I believe that you came. I believe that you died. But probably better than all of that, I believe that you are alive and you rose from the grave. And I don't have it all figured out, but today I'm giving you my heart. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm surrendering my life to you and saying, hey, I wanna walk with you and I want you to walk with me from here on out. I want to be a follower of you because today I believe. You can do that right where you're seated just by calling out to Jesus and inviting him into your life. He will forgive you of your sins and he'll give you a new heart. He'll give you new eyes. He'll make you a new creation today. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you for calling us your son and your daughter, your children. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.